0: Thessalonians chapter 2. It's a great chapter for a couple of reasons. It's, uh, first of all, it, it's almost like an essay form. There, there's an introduction, and Paul states his theses, and then he's got his argument, the body, and then there's uh, this beautiful conclusion, uh, and then it ends with a wonderful prayer. It's also great because it's challenging, right? It deals with some uh, very challenging. Um, it offers many questions, right, that, that uh, we, need, we need to answer. Like, who is the man of lawlessness? And what does Paul mean when he says that the man of lawlessness will set himself up in God's temple when there is no temple building in the last days? What does it mean that the, 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 son of, uh, the man of lawlessness will be revealed? And who's this... He who will prevent him from being revealed until the appropriate time. And what is this lie that Paul talks about in this chapter? So I'm going to do my best to try to answer those questions um, in the light of my studies and what I truly think the Bible teaches on these. However, I acknowledge and understand that what I will present may, may not be exactly your understanding, of, of these verses, and uh, in no way am I saying that I'm right and that you're wrong, but I just ask for your grace and for the opportunity to share with you what I learned from the Bible about these passages. And if, uh, if you have any questions or if, uh, if you feel offended at anything, I say please come see me afterwards and I'll do my best to avoid you, so. <laughs> yes, yeah, said the preacher, yes, yeah. so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this wonderful letter from Paul, the second letter to the Thessalonians, to this beautiful, faithful church, Lord Father, uh, the beginning of your kingdom of God here on earth. <clears throat> we just uh, thank you, Lord Father, for the um, love for one another, as we re- re- read in the letters, and Lord Father, just for their obedience to uh, your instructions. And we just thank you, Lord Father, Father for these issues that they have had, for these questions that you've had about this day of the Lord, Lord Father, that we read about here in this chapter. And we thank you that we have these, this letter before us um, by the Apostle Paul addressing these things so that we, in this time, thousands of years later, Lord Father, may have an understanding of, of what this means. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 2 Thessalonians 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teachings allegedly from others, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord had already come. So that's our introduction. So here's Paul's thesis. Uh, thesis. Don't let anybody deceive you in any way, for the day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. And Paul goes on with his argument. He says, uh, He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship, so that he sets himself uh, up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be re- revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy, uh, dis- uh, sorry, and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of display of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason God sends them powerful delusions so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. But we, here's, uh, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to... Uh, to this, through uh, our gospel, that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's Paul's conclusion. So therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So, the, so, so we see here from the introduction that um, there's some rumors being spread amongst the church in Thessalonica that Paul is saying things through word of mouth or that, or that perhaps he, he sent a letter or that he's prophesying that the day the Lord had already come. And I'd be curious what these false teachers are using as evidence for this because you see in this chapter that the, the, the signs of the coming of the day of the Lord are pretty evident. So I'd be curious what the, these false teachers are using. Perhaps they're saying that um, the Messiah, Jesus, had come again to Jerusalem, and the saints and the apostles there were taken away, but you, uh, you Christians in Thessalonica, because you're suffering so much persecution, that's proof that you're going through God's judgment. You're suffering the, the judgment side of the day of the Lord. And they're confused, and they're hearing that this was from Paul. So, Paul had to send a letter to try to correct this. So, the question is: so, what is the day of the Lord they were talking about? So, I just want to read from um, Elwell, uh, uh, Walter Elwell in the Evangel- Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. He writes: the day of the Lord is an expression often in the context of future events, which refers to the time when God will intervene decisively for judgment and/or salvation. Variously formulated as the day of the Lord, uh, the day of God, um, the the day of Jesus Christ, or the last days, the expression highlights the unmistakable appearance of God. God will make visible his rule of righteousness by calling for an accounting of the nations as well as individuals, dispensing punishment for some and ushering in salvation for others. In biblical thought, the character character or the quality of the day was of greater importance than its date. Predominant in the divine uh, intervention is the awesome presence of the Almighty. His presence totally dominates human existence, pales uh, pales before, um, I'm sorry, human existence pales before this giant reality. I just want to read um, one passage on this just to give us some uh, wonderful idea of what what the day of the Lord looks like in the symbolism of of poetry, if you would. Malachi 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogance and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will uh, will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but uh, but you who are, sorry, but for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will shine with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked; they will be uh, they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at harem for all Israel, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children, and the hearts of the children to the parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So we see some very um, in- intense imagery there. On both the, the the judgment and the vengeance side of that day, and also on the salvation and re, the, you know the fulfilling of the covenant with, with Abraham to bless all the nations of the world, in that. So, th- so this is a this is a big thing for the th- for the Thessalonians to hear that this day has come. So Paul has to try to correct this, and so, so his thesis is: Don't be deceived, for the day will not come until the, the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness appears. Right? So that's our big question. Let's ask that question. Who is the man of lawlessness? Uh, one of our brothers spoke on a similar topic not that long ago, and, and he, he suggested that when we approach um, things like this, that, that we, we do our research. We follow rabbit trails, he said. And go and find out what other people are saying. And we may not agree with what some of are saying. He said we may not agree with Anything they were saying, but at least we have an idea of some interpretations of what's out there, and I totally agree with that. But I want to add to that, though, because I think that a good Bible student should come up with their own interpretation before doing that. And for them to do that, there's two things they need to do. The first of all, first thing they need to do is they need to recognize and understand that the Bible is ancient Hebrew literature ancient Hebrew literature that, that is made up of different genres of literature, such as narrative and letter, poetry, prophecy, and apocalyptic literature. And these different types of literature um, have different means of communicating to the reader. Narrative is storytelling. Letter is prose, right? Just regular conversation. But when you get into... To, uh, pro- um, poetry, and prophecy, and apocalyptic literature, the number one means of communicating is through symbolism. Very important for the Bible student to recognize that, and to study that, to know what that means. The second thing the Bible student has to do is sit down, them, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. Put the commentaries back on the shelf, turn off your laptop, turn off your iPad, and rid your mind of all any other um, presuppositions or, or interpretations that you've heard before, known before, and just let the Bible and the Holy Spirit guide you. Read the passage, read it again, read it in its context, paragraph, full chapter, even a full book if you have to, to get an understanding of what that passage means. Start making notes. Use your center col- column reference uh, uh, and concordances for other parallel passages. Use your knowledge of the Bible of parallel passages to, find, to, to come up with your own interpretation. What does this mean? What does parallel passages mean? Uh, good example, the man of, man of lawlessness. He will oppose and stand uh, instead of God. Well, that, the, the word the Bible has for opposing is anti. So what do we think? Anti? Oh, Christ. Right? So we go where we heard that, John's letters. We go to the Antichrist, and you see, these are parallel passages. So what John says about the Antichrist are, are parallel passages to what Paul says about the man of lawlessness. So we can determine, okay, I think that th- these are the same. And we do this. So we gather as much information as we can on our own, in faith of the power of the Holy Spirit, and we make notes, and we come up with, an our, with our own interpretation. And then we go to the... the, 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 the um, the commentaries and, and, the, and the internet and stuff, and see how our interpretations line up with theirs. We may be surprised that perhaps we were way off, perhaps um, we were right in some aspects, perhaps we agree with a lot of other people. And the sources that we use must be good, sound, trustworthy sources. We're looking up the the man of lawlessness. If you go into a website where they got a picture of the latest political leader with these horns coming out of his head and 666 and, you know, this is the beast, you might want to stay away from websites like that, right? (laughs) Look for for, uh, Bible professors, uh, theologians, you know, people who've taught in seminaries with many years' experience teaching and and, uh, learning the Bible themselves. So that's what I did and i came up with my own interpretation and then i went and, and cross-referenced it with others and i was very delighted that there are some very sound teachers out there that, that agree with me <laughs> um excuse me so i really want to share with you what i learned what i particular- So will you give me the grace the permission to to do this so, who is the man of lawlessness? So my answer to the question, who is the man of lawlessness, is that is not the right question to ask. Because although Paul is writing letter form, he alludes to prophecy. So when we get to prophecy, we have to understand the means of which prophecy um, communicates is through imagery. So we have to try to um, an- uh, analyze this in, in that form. So then, the proper question to ask, in this sense, would not be, who is the man of lawlessness, but what is the man of lawlessness? Because when we, when we come to images like this, of the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, and beasts and whatnot, the Bible very rarely gives the answer to who it is, but it almost always gives the answer to what it is. And when we, when we look at this, The man of lawlessness, the answer to that question is right there in our chapter. And Paul tells us that what the man of lawlessness is, it's the power of lawlessness that opposes God and sets itself up above God. Sorry, I should get that whole verse there. He opposes God, exalts himself above God, and sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And this is exactly what John says. Remember, penal passage, John talking about the Antichrist. John says, It's the spirit of the Antichrist in the world today. And I believe that's what the man of lawlessness is. It's the power of lawlessness. In the world that opposes God, exalts himself over God, and calls itself God. And when we when we think about that, we we recognize that it's been there from the beginning. We see it there in chapter three of Genesis in the form of the serpent. Right? Exalting himself over God, preaching lies, deceiving. We see we see the, the power of lawlessness in Cain, in chapter four of Genesis. when when he opposes God's law, sets himself up as God, and murders his brother. We see the power of lawlessness in chapter 11 of Genesis in those who oppose God's command to go and fill the earth and to stay and to try to build a city and to build a tower and to try, try to build a name for themselves. Of course, we see the power of lawlessness in the book of Exodus in Pharaoh opposing God who is this God of the Hebrews? I don't know him. I'm the king. I will oppress these people. And of course, we see the power of lawlessness in, in King Nebuchadnezzar, who when looking over Babylon says, Look at great Babylon that I have made in my power and for my majesty. Then at the beginning of the, go- the Gospels, we see the power of lawlessness in King Herod, when the Magi came to him and said, where is the king of the Jews? And Herod would not have it. And he, saw, he sent out his men to kill all boys two years and under in Bethlehem and in the, in the area around because he would not have this king reign over him. And if he would have it, the power of lawlessness was there present in the Pharisees and the scribes who opposed Jesus, who sat in Moses' seat, who stood in the temple, and as Jesus said in, one of the, in the parables, said to themselves, We will not have this man reign over us. And they called Jesus a blasphemer, and they condemned him to death. Just like Paul says, doing the, the, do the work of the devil. It, 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 right? It was, it was the promise in Genesis 3 that the serpent would come <clears throat> and, and strike the seed of the woman. We see the power of lawlessness there. We see the power of lawlessness, of course, in the first century, the, the new church in the Roman Empire. Right? Trying to, trying to oppress and eliminate the kingdom of God on earth and, and, and creating Caesar worship. So now what about the end times? What about this last hour where we are? Where's the power of lawlessness? Again, go back to parallel passages. What does John say about the Antichrist? There are many Antichrists, and where are they coming from? From within the church. They came from within us. Right? And I believe that this is what Paul says when he says that the, the, the man of lawlessness will raise himself up in God's temple. Right? There's no temple. There's no building temple. Where's the temple of God today? It's the church, right? It's the people. The power of lawlessness will raise itself up in the temple amongst the people. And it's what Jesus says in Matthew 24. He says, Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah and deceiving many people. I believe that the power of lawlessness in this hour is the, are the many. The many who come forth uh, deceiving the people, the false teachers, um, false messiahs, deceiving the people, raising themselves up before God, proclaiming themselves to be God, suppressing the truth, and introducing the lie, or, or, or trying to get people to believe the lie. Right? And this is what, what Paul talks about, that uh, the man of lawlessness will do many signs, of wo- signs and wonders. Well, what does that mean? Some people uh, interpret that literally. I'm a, I don't agree with that. Parallel passage, you think, where does, that, where does that come from? Signs and wonders. Well, we go to Revelation 13, talk about the beast from the sea. And John says that he will perform many signs and wonders and cause fire to come down from heaven. Well, where's that come from? Right away we think Old Testament, Second Kings, Elijah, caused fire to come down from heaven. Why? If we read, Elijah says, if I cause fire to come down from heaven, then you will know that I am a man of God. And I believe that this is symbolism for, for the power of lawlessness in the age to come that people will believe this teaching, this power, that it is from God. Believing the lie. So what's the lie? Paul, it's it's what we we said. It is humanity, or giving humanity the impression that they can oppose God, exalt themselves over God, even make themselves to be God, and they will not perish, as it says in Genesis 2. That's the lie. The lie is that there is no day of the Lord. That there is no condemnation. That you can oppose God. And in in New Testament times, that translates not believing Jesus, right? Because Jesus is God's agent for judgment and for salvation. And if you refuse to believe Jesus, if you oppose Jesus, then you and you believe the lie, and and you believe that Jesus is not coming for condemnation and for salvation. These last verses are just amazing. Verses 13 and 16. But... But, all, but we ought but we always to thank God for you. We we read we read that in, in chapter one. Paul says we thank God uh, yeah, Paul says we thank God for you for your faithfulness. And now Paul says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Isn't that that's a wonderful title to have, right? First fruits of the Church of God. Right? you got your, your disciples and your apostles from Jews, Jerusalem. They're spread out during, during the, the persecution. And now it's going, going out to the, these uh, Roman provinces. And these Thessalonians are, are, are some of the first ones to hear the gospel at that time. And, and the first ones to believe. And that's what Paul means. He says, you're the first fruits of the kingdom of God. And that's like so exciting. Wow. And we're like the thousands of fruit. But think... like these Thessalonians, would they ever thought that you know, thousands of years later that this church, this Jesus movement would grow and grow to, like, throughout the entire world and there'd be like, millions of people who would believe and be part of this movement? It's so exciting when you think about it. Then, and then, then Paul says, He called you through our gospel that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. I wish I could expand on this more. But think about this. Because you share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me take you to this is good take you to jesus um trial right when when they ask him are you the son of god and jesus says you said so then what else does he say he says from here on from now on you will see the son of man coming in glory sitting at the right hand of of majesty and coming in glory what is he talking about well he's talking about himself right yes what else from now on. So he's telling these men, from now on, you will see it. When? Well, when they die, perhaps. No, Jesus is saying, from now on, you will see it. When? In the church. If you go to Daniel 7, and Daniel's dream, and with all the beasts and stuff, but in Daniel's dream, hear about the Son of Man, and how he will be exalted to the right hand of God, and, his, and he'll, he'll receive his kingdom and come in splendor. And then Daniel approaches one of the beings there in this vision and asks him for the interpretation. And the interpretation is the Son of Man are God's holy people. So when Jesus tells the, 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 the scribes and Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, that from now on you will see the Son of Man coming in glory, it's his church. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, You will share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Futuristic? Yes. Present? Absolutely. God's, God's kingdom is here. His glory is here through us. What a wonderful position we have in Jesus to share in his glory now through his kingdom reign on earth. And Paul's conclusion. So then, brothers and sisters, Stand firm. I think it's one of two two of Paul's favorite words. You see it through through his letters all the time. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in Jesus Christ. So now, in the conclusion of this, that you are, you know, uh, do not be do not be deceived about the day of lawlessness. Paul says, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether from mouth or letter. There'd be many false teachers in those days, false messiahs. The lie is here, brothers and sisters. Paul is saying, stand firm in the word of God, because that's where the truth is. The truth that there is a, that there is a day of the Lord, there will be a reckoning for, for sin, but there's also a Savior. And Paul ends with this beautiful prayer. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself uh, and our God and Father, who loved us by his grace, give us inter- in, uh, sorry, internal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. I just want to close with um, some passages from Isaiah 63 on this day of the Lord. For those of you new to the Bible who have never read Isaiah 63 before, there's some intense imagery here. But just watch for the good news at the end. This is wonderful. This is so good. Isaiah says, Who is this coming from Edom? Edom, symbolic city of God's enemies, uh, from from Basra, with his garments stained crimson. Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in greatness and strength? It is I, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Why are your garments red, like those one treading the winepress? I have trotted the winepress alone from the nations to uh, no, one, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood splattered my garments. I stained all my clothing. It was for me the day of vengeance. The year, of my, uh, the year for me to, to redeem had come. I looked, but there was none to help me. I was, uh, I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm achieved salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. Now watch verse 6 and 7 here, the contrast. This is incredible. Verse 6, I trampled the nations in my anger. In my wrath I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. Verse 7, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things, He has done for his holy people according to his compassion and many kindnesses. He said, Surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their Savior. Our Father in heaven, the thought of the day of of the Lord is a terrifying thing, Lord, Father, for the earth. For you will come and you will eliminate all things that are wicked. You will eliminate this power of lawlessness that has been on the earth since the beginning, deceiving people, Lord Father, telling people that they can oppose God, that they can exalt themselves over God, that they can be their own God, and they can do so without any worry of condemnation or judgment from you. But Lord Father, you have sent your truth into the world your spirit your son proclaiming truth that yes there is a day of the lord and that judgment is coming but there is salvation there is a savior through the lord jesus christ that we may believe in him that we may believe the truth and through this belief and through the sanctifying power of the spirit lord father we may be saved from this day and this day may not be a day of judgment but a day uh, of salvation for us a day of the fulfillment of your covenant with Abraham that you will bless the entire world and lord father then you will make all things new and it will your perfect your perfect kingdom will come to earth and you will dwell with us here until then lord father help us to remain faithful to you in all things in all things that we say and do in jesus christ amen